Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for October, November and December 2012. Titled, Growing in Christ, it's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 6 for November 3-9, to Victory Over Evil Forces. Sabbath afternoon, November 3. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the creator of the world, the creator of the universe, the one who sends salvation through your Son, and the one who guides us through your Holy Spirit. We pray that as we open your word today and through this week, that we may be protected and that we may know more about you and your love and your concern for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text for today is Romans chapter 8, verse 37. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let's read that again, Romans 8, 37. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And our key thought for this week is, In Christ we have victory over all forces that would oppress us. In some parts of the world, religion is basically a source of power that may be seen as nothing but a way to help one meet the challenges of daily living. The Christian notion of salvation from sin, for example, is foreign to many traditional religions. In these places, Christianity risks being seen mainly as a means to help solve the problems of everyday life. Though there are, of course, many practical advantages to a Christian's lifestyle, we must always remember that Christianity has an otherworldly outlook. In other words, Christianity sees another dimension of reality beyond the material world. Both realms are important, and both host forces that are at cross-purposes with each other. How thankful we can be for the promises of victory for us in both realms. Again, we stress that the overarching narrative of the great controversy between Christ and Satan needs to form the background template for our understanding of the world and our place within it as Christians. In the midst of this conflict, Christianity does not abandon its adherence to the mercy of the opposing forces. On the contrary, in Christ we have the promise of victory over those forces. Sunday, November 4, a stage set for our victory. The Christian would have no hope of victory over the forces of evil unless the stage was set for it. In last week's study, it became clear that Christ, through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, gained victory over all sorts of evil and ungodly powers. In a very real sense, the unmasking and disarming of these powers have placed a limit on them. The fact that the powers have been brought under subjection sets the stage for the victory of the Christian. Question. Study Ephesians chapter 1 verses 18 to 22. Paul prays for the enlightening of the eyes of the Christians in Ephesus. According to Paul, what did Christ accomplish for us? How do we understand these words in the context of the great controversy? what is promised to us here, and how do we make these promises real in our own lives? Ephesians 1, 18-22 
the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church." Paul is praying that a new and deep illumination will accompany the Christian. When this has happened, their lives will be filled with Christian hope. They will know their privileges as God's heirs, and they will know, by experience, the power of God in their lives, a power that is of the same magnitude as that which raised Jesus from the dead. Notice Ephesians one twenty to 22 in particular. What can we claim from these promises for ourselves, and our struggles with forces stronger than we are. Verse 20, Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. As a consequence of Christ's crucifixion, and resurrection. All things, including principalities and powers, function in subjection to him. The stage is truly set for the possibility of our individual victories over all that would spiritually oppress us. So to finish the day, read the verses for today. What can you take from them for yourself in whatever struggles you are facing at the moment? Think about what is being said in them and what is promised to us in Christ. How, in your own experience, can this message go from being mere theology to reality? You may want to replay this part. Monday, November 5. Hope of Victory Not only is the stage set for the possibility of the Christian's victory over evil forces, but the Bible explicitly gives us the hope of victory over them. Study Romans 8, 26-39 What point is Paul trying to make here? What reasons does Paul give for the Christian to look confidently to the future? Look at all the wonderful promises and words of encouragement found in these verses. Again, how can we take them beyond theology, beyond something that sounds nice, and live according to the clear teachings of the Word of God presented here? Romans 8, verses 26 to 39. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. 
Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8 verses 29 and 30 has been a battleground of discussions on predestination. But the passage really occurs in the context of a great promise. Paul gives at least two solid reasons for the Christian to be confident in the Lord. First, the Spirit helps us in our trials and groanings. Second, According to God's eternal purpose, all things, including trials, contribute to the Christian's ultimate welfare, no matter how hard that might be to see at this present time. Trusting God in difficulties is indeed a crucial component of what it means to live by faith and not by sight. Verses 29 and 30 are Paul's way of justifying the confidence expressed in verse 28. In these verses, he shows how God's purpose for those who love him is developed, a purpose that includes all the processes of salvation. Question. How does Paul's argument for boosting the confidence of the Christian reach a pinnacle in verses 31 to 34? Look especially at verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? In the context of the great controversy, what can we take from this verse for ourselves? To finish today, Romans 8 verses 35 to 39 gives an array of entities over which the Christian can be victorious. Notice that principalities and powers are included in the list. The sheer inclusiveness of Paul's list points out that there is nothing in the universe over which the Christian cannot be victorious. Thanks to Jesus. Tuesday, November 6. Christians versus the Devil. Question. Read James chapter 4 verse 7. What clear promise is given to the one who stands against the devil? How do we stand against a force so much more powerful than we are in and of ourselves? See also Deuteronomy 4 verse 4. Well, let's start with James 4 verse 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
And then Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 4, But you who hold fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. The Christian is not a helpless victim at the mercy of the devil. Can you see here too why it's so important to understand the literal reality of Satan and the fallen angels? But the Christian is not so much called upon to rise in opposition to the devil as to take a stand against him. The word translated as resist is the Greek anthistemi, which means taking a stand against something. It is an attitude the Christian takes that causes the devil to flee. That attitude has to be one of complete surrender to Jesus, who alone has the power to cause the devil to flee from us. Question. Study 1 Peter 5, 6-10. What promise is given to the Christian in the face of an enemy who is described as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour? How do these verses help us to understand what James wrote? Uh, Ephesians 4:27 and Ephesians 6:11. Well, first of all, we'll look at 1 Peter 5, 6-10. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of our grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have strengthened a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion for ever and ever. Amen. And Ephesians chapter 4 and verse... 27, and that reads, Nor give place to the devil. And further on in the same book, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11, Put on the whole armour of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Peter wrote these words to admonish Christians who were suffering persecution. Obviously, he knew that lurking behind the persecution his readers were suffering was the art enemy, Satan. The apostle admonished his readers to resist the devil. Here, Peter uses the word antistheme, as James did, but he adds the modifier stereo, hard or firm. Thus, he suggests that the devil may flee from those who present a solid, rock-like front against his attacks. A cowardly attitude will not suffice. Still, Peter knows that in spite of a strong stand, suffering may endure for a while yet. But God himself will perfect or mend, establish, strengthen and settle the Christian, as we find in 1 Peter 5 verse 10. So, to finish today, even with all the promises given here, we are not promised freedom from suffering, are we? What Christian doesn't know the reality of suffering? As humans, we seem destined in this world to suffer. What crucial difference should our faith make for us amid sorrows and pain? Wednesday, November 7. Examples of Victory. 
So far, we have been shown by the Bible the hope and promises of victory that the Christian may have. Actually, beyond these, we have real examples of Christian victories over evil forces recorded in the Bible. We begin with the example of the ministry of the early disciples whom Jesus sent out. Question. Read Matthew 10, verses 1 to 8, Mark 6, verse 7, 12 and 13, Luke 9, 1 and 2, Luke 10, 1 to 20. Look at what these people were commissioned to do. How are these texts to be understood in the context of the great controversy? Also, what do these texts say today to us, the ones who are called to preach to the world about Jesus? Well, first of all, we look at Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 to 8. And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out, and to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these, first Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, and Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter into a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. And Mark chapter 6 and verses 7, 12 and 13. And he called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. So they went out and preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 20. After these things the Lord appointed seventy others also, and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the labourers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the labourer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. And heal the sick there, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter, and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, The very dust of your city which clings to us we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. 
but I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who were exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. It is quite interesting that as Jesus sent the twelve out to proclaim the gospel of the coming of God's kingdom, he deemed it important to give them power over demons and unclean spirits. This is not surprising because proper preaching of the gospel necessarily entails the unmasking of such powers. The manifestation of the powers was to be expected as the gospel would be proclaimed, hence the need to give the people power over them. Surely the evil forces manifested themselves as the twelve went about preaching, and just as surely many demons and evil forces were cast out. As far as can be seen from the records, Jesus did not, in specific terms, commission the seventy to cast out demons. Yet this is the aspect of the mission that seems to have excited the seventy the most. With joy, the seventy reported that as they went about preaching the gospel of the kingdom, demons were brought into subjection to them. Of course, they understood that it was the power of Jesus working through them that made this possible. Though much can be discussed and debated about these texts and the way in which they should be understood today, the important point is that as Christians who have been called to proclaim the gospel to the world, we have, through Christ, the power to to do it. So to finish today, read Luke ten twenty. What important points should we take for ourselves from Jesus' words here? How does his response show us what should be important in our lives? How can we make sure that we keep this correct emphasis? Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. November 8, Examples of Victory, the Book of Acts. The examples of victories over demonic forces that we looked at in yesterday's lesson happened in the days of our Lord on the earth, but the victories were by no means restricted to that period. In the Book of Acts, we find the continuing victories of Jesus' followers over demonic forces. Of course, this shouldn't be surprising, not with all the promises that Jesus left to his followers about the Holy Spirit being with them, when he himself left, as in John 14, verse 16. 
At the same time, too, as we so well know, the great controversy between Christ and Satan, though settled finally at the cross, is to rage until the end of time. Thus, Christ's followers, even after he left, were to be engaged in the conflict, especially as they sought to fulfil the Gospel Commission. Question. Read the following examples of some of these victories over evil forces. What lesson can we learn from them for ourselves in our present context of outreach and witness? First of all, we go to Acts chapter 5 and verse 12. Right through to 16. And through the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. And then Acts chapter 3 and verses 1 to 11. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms for those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him, with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who was sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. And then Acts chapter 16 and verse 16. Now it happened, as he went to prayer, that a certain slave girl, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us, and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. This last one in Acts 16, 16 to 18 presents an unusual case. When the slave girl mentioned the Most High God, her words expressed a great truth. Paul, though, would have none of it. He could see what was really going on. The supernatural powers that she had manifested, which were making money for her masters, were not of the Lord. And Paul knew it. When she cried out about these men being servants of the Most High God, she was not talking about the true God, but most likely about a Canaanite God who was also called Elion, or Most High. 
Notice how easily, merely through the use of certain common terms, error could have greatly compromised truth. So to finish the day, look at our first example in Acts 512 12-16 and, and the amazing part about the people hoping that at least the shadow of Peter might touch them. What warnings should that have for any Christian who is working for the Lord, especially when his or her work is deemed successful? Friday, November 9. From the book Desire of Ages, page 130 and 131, Jesus gained the victory through submission and faith in God. And by the Apostle, he says to us, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. In James 4, 7 and 8. We cannot save ourselves from the tempter's power. He has conquered humanity, and when we try to stand in our own strength, we shall become a prey to his devices. But the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it, and is safe. Proverbs 18.10 Satan trembles and flees before the weakest soul who finds refuge in that mighty name. And from the same book, page 490 and 493. The omnipotent power of the Holy Spirit is the defence of every contrite soul. Not one that in penitence and faith has claimed his protection will Christ permit to pass under the enemy's power. The Saviour is by the side of his tempted and tried ones. With him there can be no such thing as failure, loss, impossibility or defeat. We can do all things through him who strengthens us. When temptations and trials come, do not wait to adjust all the difficulties, but look to Jesus, your helper. There are Christians who think and speak altogether too much about the power of Satan. They think of their adversary, they pray about him, they talk about him, and he looms up greater and greater in their imagination. It is true that Satan is a powerful being, but thank God we have a mighty Saviour who cast out the evil one from heaven. Satan is pleased when we magnify his power. Why not talk of Jesus? Why not magnify his power and his love? And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. One, take some of the examples from this week that show the victories revealed in the Bible. In what ways do we see similar things happening today? What can we do, if anything, to see more of them? Two, what does it mean to draw nigh unto God, as Ellen White quoted above? How do we do that? Discuss in class what it means, how we do it, and what happens when we do. 3. Imagine that you are Peter and people want to merely be touched by your shadow. Think about what that could do to you spiritually. What's your own safety in a situation like that? Inside Story Twice a Fisherman Fabrice knew nothing of God or Jesus. As a fisherman, he spent weeks at a time on board a ship. One day, one of the sailors gave him a book about God. He read it with great interest. Following the book's instructions, Fabrice prayed his first prayer. Fabrice wondered which Christian faith was the true path to God. He really didn't know who God was or where to find answers to his questions, but he continued praying in the only way he knew. 
Then, while visiting a friend, he met a young woman who was staying with his friend's family. Fabrice realized that she was somehow different, and he learned that she was a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. He told her of his search for God, and she invited him to church. The couple were married. But Fabrice's job kept him away from home and slowed his search for God. He and his wife prayed for work that would allow him more time at home, and God answered. With more time together, Fabrice's wife gently guided her husband to a total commitment to Christ. Fabrice wanted to share his new faith with others, but he didn't know how. The local mission sent him to a lay training seminar, and his faith grew as he shared what he had learned. Fabrice and his family were called to work as global mission pioneers in a remote region of northern Madagascar. He worked with the villagers in their fields to gain the people's trust, and on Sundays the couple held literacy training programs. In time, 33 people were baptised. When the family's two-year-old contract was up, the family returned to their home. Fabrice worked as a lay pastor. He had a passion to work for God and wanted to become a minister, but with a family to support, his dream seemed impossible. Then the local mission offered Fabrice a scholarship to study for the ministry. He was thrilled, but it meant huge sacrifices for his family. Fabrice had to leave his family behind while he prepares for the ministry at Zerka Adventist University in central Madagascar. He works hard to provide for his family's needs and to pay his remaining school fees. God stretches the little bit I can earn to provide for us all, he says. It's worth it to become a fisherman for God. Part of your 13th Sabbath offering last quarter will help to provide classrooms for Zercha Adventist University so that it can continue to trade leaders for service to God in Madagascar. Thank you. This has been Dr. Percy Harold with a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide recorded in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired in Queensland, Australia and brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is still faithful.